Thank you very much, Brother Mike and Miss Carol, for that wonderful message and song. And you know, there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews said, it is through the power of the blood that we are cleansed from the guilt of our sin. We have been plunged beneath the blood. There is no such thing as a bloodless Christianity. When Jesus Christ hung and died upon the cross and shed his blood there at Calvary for you and I, all of us who have come to him in faith, trusting that he died to pay the penalty for our sins, we have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been plunged beneath the blood. You know, there's something about the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we prepare to open up God's Word. Father God, we thank you for the day that you have given us to this point, just the time that we can come together and just lift our voices up to you in song and praise. Indeed, Lord God, you are great and mighty, and we just want to pause this morning, and we want to just thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for shedding his blood at the cross of Calvary. It is through his blood that we have been cleansed from our sins. As Paul wrote in Romans the 8th chapter, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, we have been cleansed through his blood and we have been pronounced innocent before the Lord. We are grateful for that. We are grateful for your word today. And as we open your word, Lord, we pray that your word would speak truth into our hearts and our lives. Father, hide me behind your cross, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that he would be lifted up because you tell us in your word, if he be lifted up, he will draw men unto himself. And that is the desire of our heart today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. If you are a child this morning and are going to Treehouse today, you will find the workers at the back door. You can feel free to send them out. If you are a visitor, we want to make sure that they have one of those blue visitor's cards. All right, I want to thank very much Brother Andy and the choir and all of those who have participated in the music portion of our worship service and leading us into the presence of God. I am so very grateful for all of the hard work that Brother Andy and the instrumentalist and the choirs put in every week to enhance our time of worship. You know, one of the things I always want to remind us of, when we come together as God's people, we don't come together to be entertained. That is not the purpose of the choir or the musicians or anyone that is up here singing. These men and women's purpose is to direct us into the presence of God. You know, one of the things I am convinced of, worship is participatory. In order for to us to truly worship, we must participate 
in the worship. We must engage our hearts. Do you remember what Jesus Christ told the woman at the well? He said, there will come a day where people will worship me in spirit and in truth. When I hear those two, it just screams to me participation. We all must be involved. We must engage our hearts. Worship is my spirit connecting with God's spirit centered on the truth of God's word. There can be no true worship that's not centered on the truth of God's word. That's what Jesus Christ was saying when he said, there will be a day where they will worship me in spirit and in truth. So I hope to this point in our worship services, you have had the opportunity to meet with the Lord through song. And now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word and we're going to let God's Word speak into our hearts and our lives this morning. And so that is my prayer that the Lord would use me to reveal truth from His Word to our hearts and our lives. So if you have your Bible or your device today, you'll want to open them up to chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. Chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. This is a chapter that we have been in for a number of weeks now. Now remember the context of this chapter. It is so important for us to remember what's at the very center of this chapter of the Gospel of John because everything that Jesus Christ speaks in this chapter flows out of that context. The context of this chapter is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. That is the event that is taking place. We know that's the event that is taking place because in the very opening verses of chapter 7, Jesus Christ and his brothers are having this discussion. And if you remember, the brothers thinks it's a good idea for Jesus Christ to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles that's taking place at the temple in Jerusalem and promote himself to the world. That's what they challenge him to do. And Jesus Christ refuses to do that. He says, I'm not going to make a public display at the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not going to go up there. Now, later on, Jesus Christ does arrive at the temple and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If you remember, I have shared with you, there were three feasts that every Jewish man was expected to attend each year at the temple in Jerusalem. One of them was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the event. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind with me for a moment. If you can just imagine this, what's taking place. This is an elaborate event. It is a week-long event that is taking place. The feast didn't just happen one day out of the week. It lasted an entire week. It's a joyous occasion that is taking place. There is a great celebration that is happening in this passage. On the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen is the priest would take a golden pitcher 
from the temple and with the people he would walk out to the pool of Siloam. He would reach down and he would scoop up a pitcher of water and then he and the people, those men that had gathered there for the feast, would return back into the temple. And then the priest at that time would take the pitcher of water and he would pour it around the altar. At that very moment when the priest is pouring the water around the altar, the people are quoting Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. At that very moment. Now get this picture. The temple is full of people. At that very moment. There is one who stands up in the middle of the crowd and in a loud voice, he declares, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It is in that declaration that Jesus Christ is announcing to everyone in that temple, I am the fulfillment of this feast. Now remember what the feast was about. It was a time for the children of Israel to remember how God had provided for their ancestors as they wandered in the wilderness. It was a time right then, right then in the present for them to remember God's hand of provision in their life. But there was also future implications in this feast. It also it also reminded them of the greatest provision of all that God would provide for the nation of Israel. The greatest provision of all would be a, a spiritual provision. They were waiting for the long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus Christ has just announced to the crowd in this declaration, I am the one you are waiting for. I am the Messiah. Man, what a powerful declaration that Jesus Christ makes in these two sentences, these two verses right here. He has just announced to every man that has gathered in that temple, there are probably thousands and thousands. He gets to his feet. He cries out in a loud voice, I am the one that is the fulfillment of this feast. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that is so utterly amazing to me. Jesus Christ, in the middle of the temple, proclaiming to be God in the human flesh. This is one of the great promises found anywhere 
in the Word of God. Now, let me say this, because I think it's so important for us to realize this promise doesn't just have application to those first century hearers. This promise has application for our life today. This morning, I want to just share with you several things that I see in this promise that Jesus Christ makes in verses 37 and 38. First, I want you to notice the breath of the promise that Jesus makes. Did you hear the words of Jesus Christ in this passage? He says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Jesus Christ very clearly announced anyone who is willing to come can come to me. This is a promise for all people. It's an all-inclusive promise. Now, when I make that statement, I don't want you to misunderstand what I am saying. I'm not saying that all people will be saved, but surely God's desire is that all people would come unto Him and experience repentance in their life. But you and I know there will be people who will reject God's gracious gift of mercy and grace, salvation that He offers from His Son, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ's death at the cross. What's most important for us to realize is this is a promise that is for anyone. Anyone who is willing to come may come. That's what Jesus Christ pronounces in this declaration. It is an all-inclusive promise. I like what one of my commentary writers said this week when I was reading. He said, this promise is for all the whosoever wills. And you know what? That's the truth. Whosoever will can come to Jesus Christ. Is that not true? Salvation is for anyone who is willing to come to Jesus Christ and trust in Him. The first thing that I notice about this promise, it is an all-inclusive promise. It is for anyone. But I want you to notice something else about this promise today. It is also, I want you to notice the simplicity of the promise. Jesus Christ simply said, let anyone who thirst come to me and drink. Anyone who thirst come to me and drink. You know, I have realized through the years, it is not Jesus Christ, it is not God's word that makes salvation difficult. It is mankind that makes salvation difficult. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus didn't say in this passage of Scripture. Jesus Christ didn't say that what you need to do is join the church. He didn't say you need to be baptized. He didn't say what you need to do is read the Bible and pray, and go to small group Bible study on Sunday morning. That is not what Jesus Christ said in this passage of Scripture. Jesus Christ very clearly said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Anyone can come to Jesus Christ. The clarifying statement in this passage of Scripture is we must come to Him, is what He is saying. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Surely, each of these are a necessity for spiritual growth in our lives. We need God's church. We need to corporately worship with one another. We need to spend time in God's Word, and we need to connect with Him in prayer. We need to spend time in small group Bible study. All of those are very important in our life, but salvation is found in none of those. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Those surely should be the desire of every believer, but they are not a means to salvation. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ simply said in this passage of Scripture, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. A very simple statement, a simple promise. Did you notice the descriptive language that Jesus Christ used in this passage? I love Jesus Christ and his teachings. You know why? Jesus Christ was a master teacher, wasn't he? He would take something from everyday life and through it, he would teach a very important spiritual truth. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing in this passage of Scripture. Has there ever been a time in your life where you really, really needed a drink of water? I mean, you were desperate. I mean, you were thirsty and you needed a drink of water. I'm reminded of an African proverb that goes like this it says the only thing worse than murder is letting a man go without water in the desert isn't that so true if you have ever been without water you can fully understand that African proverb now let me say this is what Jesus Christ means when he makes this statement if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink Jesus was saying in the same way that only water can quench a man's physical thirst, only I can quench a man's spiritual thirst. You see, only in Jesus Christ can we truly find spiritual satisfaction. You can chase after the things of the world, trying to find the empty or trying to feel the emptiness of your life. But at the end of the day, you will still be just as empty as at the beginning of the day. Only Jesus Christ can quench your spiritual thirst. Nothing else can. Now, people oftentimes seek to fill that void in their life with many things. But only Christ can fill the void in our life. It is a very simplistic promise. 
Jesus Christ simply said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Isn't that pretty simple? It's like you know when you're out and you've been working in the yard all day and you're hot and you're sweaty. You know what I'm talking about, men? You know what I'm talking about, ladies? And your child or your wife steps out of the house and says, hey, I got a nice cool cup of water here, a glass of water. Come and get it. You see what I'm saying? The only thing that is necessary to get the cup of water is to do what? To walk over and get the cup of water, right? Jesus Christ says it's that simple to experience this promise in your life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Or the words of Jesus Christ. Number three, I want you to notice the condition of the promise as well. Notice the condition of the promise. Now listen to what Jesus Christ says here in verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Did you see the condition there? The condition is to do what? To believe. That is the condition. Jesus Christ says, if you want to have your thirst quenched, then the only thing you have to do is believe. That's what Jesus says. Now, let me say something here. It's not just simply enough to believe in anything or to believe in everything. We live in that world today that wants us to believe that all roads lead to heaven. But I'm telling you right here, Jesus Christ provides the qualifier to the statement when he says, believe not just in anything, but believe in what? Me. Do you see it? So it's not just enough to be sincere about whatever belief you have. That's not enough. To experience this promise in your life, you must believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked a lot about that word believe as we've traveled through the Gospel of John, haven't we? And I would be willing to say the majority of you know here this morning that believing is much more than just giving mental assent to a set of facts. Did you realize it is possible to actually believe that Jesus Christ was a historical figure? Did you know it is possible to believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Did you know it was possible to believe that Jesus Christ even died on a cross and still be lost? Did you know that? It is. You can give mental assent to a set of facts and still not believe in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be saying, well, how in the world is that possible? It says believe. Well, this word believe right here actually means to trust. It means to throw the full weight of your life upon Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's best understood in a story. How many of you remember that story that Jesus Christ told about two men that went up to the temple to worship God one day? Do you remember that story? One was a Pharisee and the other one was a tax collector. The Pharisee went inside the temple before the altar of God and you know what he prayed? Oh God, thank you, you did not make me like that man, the tax collector. 
That's the essence of his prayer. The tax collector refused to even enter in to the temple. You see, the altar of God was considered to be the throne of God here on earth. He stood outside the temple doors with his head bowed down. And do you know what he said? He cried out to God in desperation. Oh God, please have mercy upon my soul for I am a great sinner. And then at the end of the story, Jesus looks at the crowd and this is what he says. Which one do you think went away justified that day? Let me say this to you this morning. As long as you believe that you can change your spiritual condition with God, you cannot be saved. It is only as we willingly cry out in desperation to God, understanding that I am utterly hopeless and helpless to change my standing before God. There is nothing I can ever do to make myself right with God. The only thing I can do is just simply throw myself upon the mercy of God, trusting and believing that Jesus Christ died in the cross and paid, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. That is the only hope we have. Do you see that? Jesus Christ said very clearly in this passage of Scripture, the condition that must be met is you must believe in me, is what he says. But I want you to notice one other thing in this passage of Scripture. One other thing about this promise, I want you to notice the guarantor of the promise. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ in verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Who is the guarantor of our salvation? Well, that's simple. The Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our salvation. That's what Jesus Christ said right there. Now we have a very unique term for that, a theological term that we sometimes throw around. You know, as pastors are bad about that. We go to school, we have to learn a whole new vocabulary, and then once we learn that vocabulary, it's hard for us to forget the vocabulary that we've learned. Sometimes we simply call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the moment in time that we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the clear teaching of Scripture is this. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. You see, the question is not how much do we get of the Holy Spirit. The real question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? You see, that's the real question. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians, the first chapter, and the 14th verse, he says we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in Christ. That's what Scripture says. 
You see, one of the things that God wants us to experience more than anything else in our lives is this, is what it means to truly live in control of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how many times we see phrases like this? We are commanded to be controlled by the Spirit. We are told to live in the Spirit. We are told to walk in the Spirit. We are told to keep in step with the Spirit. You ever notice that? The other thing that the Holy Spirit gives us, He gives us assurance of our salvation. Did you know that? He does. If you're here this morning as a believer or maybe a non-believer or maybe you're here this morning and you don't really know and you don't have the assurance of the Holy Spirit in your life today, it's only because of one or two reasons. One is, it's because you don't really truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't have assurance of something that you don't have. Just let me tell you that. You can't. Or it is possible that you are not living in submission to the Holy Spirit. You're not daily walking with the Holy Spirit. You're not daily submitting yourself unto the Lord each and every day, allowing the Holy Spirit to control your words, your actions, and your thoughts. What you have allowed to happen in your life, you have allowed a wall of sin to become come between you and God, and as a result of that, you are no longer experiencing the joy and the peace of your salvation. Can I say something this morning? No matter which place you find yourself in today, it can all change today, this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have the assurance of your salvation by just like what Jesus said here, by believing in Jesus Christ. Trusting that he is the one who paid the penalty at the cross for your sins, throwing the entire weight of your life upon him, trusting in the Lord who saves. Maybe you're here, and the more important question is, you know, Brother Jeff, I really have trusted Jesus Christ, but you know what? If I honestly evaluated my life right now at this moment, I would tell you I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not living a life controlled by the Spirit. This morning, if you're not experiencing that in your life, It starts with you giving him complete control. By you willingly surrendering everything you have to the Lord. Every single area of your life to walk in the Spirit must be surrendered to him. What are you holding back this morning? What's keeping you from living in the Spirit daily? He will either be 
100% Lord of your life or he will not be Lord at all. He either has it all or he has nothing. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation, an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come. I want to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with Him. If you're here this morning and you're not living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, what needs to happen in your life in order for you to experience that? To once again experience the joy and the peace of being in fellowship with the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of it and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, we give you this time of invitation and pray that you would just continue to have your way in our heart and our life. Father, that we would respond in whatever manner you would desire for us to respond. Father, we give you this time and pray that you would be honored and glorified through it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.